0: Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt.
1: Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to the Felony Friday podcast. This is the show where we focus on injustices in the broken criminal justice system with a new episode published every Friday. We have another great show today with another awesome guest, but before I introduce my guest... I want to remind our listeners where they can find the show notes for today's show. Go to lionsofliberty.com slash FF5. Everything we talk about on today's show can be found there. lionsofliberty.com slash FF5. Today's guest on the Felony Friday podcast is Jeffrey Tucker. Jeffrey is the founder of Liberty.me, which is a global liberty community with advanced social and publishing features. He's also Director of Digital Development for the Foundation of Economic Education, Executive Director of Laissez-faire Books, Research Fellow at the Action Institute, Policy Advisor of the Heartland Institute, Founder of the Cryptocurrency Conference, and Author of Five Books. He's written... 150 introductions for books and many thousands of articles appearing all over the interwebs. His latest book is called Bit by Bit, How P2P is Free in the World. And with all of this going on, Jeffrey has somehow found a little bit of time to sit down and have a conversation here on the Felony Friday podcast. So, Jeffrey Tucker, welcome to the Felony Friday podcast. Thank you so
0: much for inviting me. I understand our topic today is something I care about very intensely. I'm, I'm glad that uh, you've decided to have this podcast.
1: We're glad that you took a little time out of your busy schedule there to sit down with us. And uh, as you mentioned, we're going to be talking about uh, something very important and uh, maybe a little bit of controversial in some libertarian circles. We're going to be talking about drinking age laws. And to be uh, more specific, Jeffrey wrote an article Earlier this month, this is January 2016, titled, Finally, Some Drinking Age Progress. Before we get to talking about that article and before we get to talking about uh, the drinking age laws in general, I just wanted to maybe get a little bit of background information on you. I know you've appeared before on the Lions of Liberty podcast hosted by Mark Clare. That was probably about two years ago. It's crazy how fast the time flies by. And I will post that full interview in the show notes. But if you could just give a uh, a short, brief overview and kind of share with our audience um, how you first became involved in the liberty movement and why liberty is important. To I you. was an economics
0: major in college and bumped into a wonderful book by Hans Senholtz on the interwar inflation in Germany. And I read that chapter and I realized for the first time just how connected economics was to the status of humanity itself. You know, but bad economic environment can unravel a culture and send people into the arms of a dictator, you know, and, and nearly blow up the world. And good economics can cause human beings to flourish and live longer and to be healthier and happier. And and I realized that uh, within economics, I could find sort of the the keys to all of the stuff in life that really matters. And. You know, I gradually came to realize that it was all about freedom, really, in the end. If you have freedom, meaning the absence of a state control, then uh, humanity can find ways to organize itself and create property rights and and institutions that civilize life and make life so much better. So I, I've i never lost track of that message. I, I believe in it, and I am attached myself to the liberal revolution that began in the late Middle Ages, and I've spent a lifetime reading it in this literature. Because I think it's just profoundly important. Also, weirdly, people forget it too often. You know, they forget this core message that we should be free. And the right forgets it. The left forgets it. We keep being buffeted around by politics. And I just feel this very intense calling in it. And I've felt it all my life to, to do what I can to kind of, you know, to research and get the message out there and to inspire people to fight for liberty. Because uh, I think it's the, the thing that makes life wonderful.
1: That it is. That it is. And that's why I have this podcast to fight for liberty, to educate people on some of the injustices that we have in our criminal justice system right now. And I want to pivot right now and start to talk about the drinking age, drinking age laws and really, you know, maybe some people in the, in the liberty movement might question why the focus on this topic uh, with so many things like uh, that are a catastrophe, such as foreign policy, our monetary policy, the war on drugs, to name a few. Why focus on writing an article about changing the drinking age law?
0: Well, there is the injustice associated with it. You know, you're taking people who are you know, 16, basically 16 to 21, this very critical age group. Prohibition has been imposed on this age group in a particularly wicked way with all of its intended consequences of criminality and corruption and sneaking around and abuse, you know, this group doesn't have the power to lobby against the legislation. You know, they don't have any political power of any sophistication at all. So they're really minorities that are truly oppressed. And in the 30 years since this law has been imposed, we've seen just outrageous levels of corruption sort of enter into this age group at a time when people should be starting to, you know, focus on adulthood. The state plunges them back into an absurd childhood, even though they're away from parents, you know, even though they're taking on other kinds of adult responsibilities like paying bills or you know whatever. Uh, they're still not allowed to saddle up to a bar and grab a beer,
1: as you discussed in the article. Um, There's bills in New Hampshire and Minnesota and California that to varying degrees would lower the drinking age to 18 years old. And of course, throughout the world, the the drinking age is is 18 or even lower in many countries. You also reference uh, in the article that there's a lot of studies that point to dangerous drinking among college students that escalating over time, over the years. Do you believe that a lower drinking age would lead to more responsible drinking? Oh, I think,
0: yeah, it most definitely would. And probably immediately. Uh, You have to treat people like adults if you want to expect them to be adults. And certainly, you know, we've discovered this from around the world. I mean, the drinking age being 16 and and most places for beer and wine, that seems, you know, at a minimum reasonable. I don't believe in a drinking age at all, but I mean... I'm not expecting that opinion to go anywhere, but I really feel like we're facing something approaching a real crisis level here. I'm profoundly disturbed by it. Actually, I don't think uh, women are safe on college campuses anymore, and I think men, even if they want to be uh, responsible, are being like you know terribly corrupted by this environment. And uh, you know, there's health considerations, and and just you know, just bad habits are being brought about from the from the prohibition culture. So, yeah, I would say so. Would, you know, and about part of this, I must tell you, comes from my own experience. When I turned 18, I was allowed to drink. And it turned out that the law that raised it to 21 went into effect two weeks after I turned 18. So, I was grandfathered in just like barely, you know. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, and I went to Texas Tech University and... You know, my first thought when I turned 18, I had moved out of the house was, wow, I can't wait to uh, buy a bottle of wine and sip it at home while I studied, you know, and that's what I did, you know, <laughs> and that's sort of the way people drank in those days, you know, they would turn 18 and, and drink in a civilized way. There was a civilized drinking culture on campus and people would hang out in public bars, you know, and it was very civilized and very nice, but then gradually in a way I didn't entirely recognize it just got worse and worse and worse. And suddenly, the sort of binging culture sort of developed out of nowhere. And now I'm realizing, in retrospect, it was it was because the prohibition itself made it impossible for people to get liquor without fake IDs, without bugging friends. And to drink, you can't drink it in public places because it's, you know, uh, you can get caught and the bar or the restaurant can be shut down. So. You have to go to dorm rooms and frat houses and, you know, suddenly the Greek system is taking on new life as an essential place to drink yourself to your silly and people's drinking habits. I mean, I never saw anything like this when I was that age. Now, it's just if you don't have a story of drinking pre-gaming to the point of blacking out and waking up somewhere you didn't know where you were, then you're just not cool. You know, I mean, that's just that's just the way things are today, and I just I find it appalling and a really an amazing example of how government can just destroy an entire sort of sort of sector of life with with bad legislation.
1: Jeffrey, you're you're absolutely right in that aspect. I'm a little bit younger than you. I was I graduated from college in 2006, so I lived this. I lived through this. I myself. Drank in excess way too often, probably. And so, you know, everyone around me was doing it as well. But it's not something that really stopped, you know, when people turned 21. Right. Right. It's sort of ingrained in the culture now that it's now carried over into the bars. Yeah, I think that's really true.
0: And let's face it, there are always going to be people that abuse alcohol. And and I get that. And that's just normal. But I think by removing some of the elements of secretiveness and danger and the presumption of immaturity. Then you, you remove a, a sizable element of that, which gets people into such trouble. And really, it's none of my business. A person wants to, you know, drink to the point of blacking out. I mean, that's always gone on in history, and it always will. But for this to be so habitual, I mean, the statistics on it are shocking. It's something like—I don't know—I was reading them the other day. It's like two thirds of people in this age group admit to having been binge drinking it in the last month. I mean, it's—it's it's like it become a way of life.
1: Yeah, it's it's uh it's frightening. Yeah, it
0: it is and it's crazy. And like you say, it carries over because this is how people learn to drink. Instead of learning to drink responsibly, they began to associate drinking with with this weird effect of like Putting on a new personality, you know, and drinking to the point that you're just, you know, just bleary eyed silly and doing insane things that you're definitely going to regret the next day and so on. They associate it too with their first sexual experiences. You're like, oh God, you know, I was blitzed out of my mind and I fucked so and so. And, you know, it's all the cultural associations with drinking and the abuse that's associated with it. I think a lot of that would at least begin to diminish. And finally, over time, I think we could develop more of a European-style drinking culture, which we definitely don't have. You know, why am I speaking out of it? And it it's basically because people in that age group, they don't want to talk about it. I mean, they spend their lives sneaking around. They've got fake IDs. They're bugging their friends for drinks. You know, they're always sort of breaking bad. And so they can't openly advocate for this position, you know? So I feel like it's kind of up to adults to pick it up, pick up the mantle and say, these kids have rights. These kids should be treated like adults. And if you free up the market and get rid of these, this preposterous experiment in prohibition, then we'll sort of work our way towards more of civilized culture.
1: I'm curious to get your input on, if you think that maybe some other state interventions, other, uh, let me just bring up an example. So students attending college, most today take student loans. Um, They're deferring the pain of of paying for college for, you know, spread over 30 years or or more later in life. So they lose that sense of responsibility. Do you think um, that has something to do with building this culture up when so many more kids today than maybe 10, 20, 30 years ago when they go to college, you know, Kids 20 years ago used to get a full-time job and they would have to pay for some of their college. Today, a lot of kids are taking loans, not working, and just partying. Do you think that plays into it? Somehow? I
0: think you make a really good point. And it's like all these things. It's dumb to just isolate one thing. I and mean, it's a whole kind of conspiracy of things that plays into it. But you're exactly right. You can't work your way through college anymore, which is a serious problem because that was part of what happened when you left mom and dad. You were sort of on your own. And you had to learn to balance your checkbook. You had to learn to budget your finances and be careful about every penny you spent. And you would develop a, a relationship between sort of your production habits and your consumption habits, you know. And you would know, oh, my God, I, you know, I had to work 80 hours uh, last month. And that, that only paid for one class I'm taking. You know, I better get an A in it. There's a, a connection there, you know. But now you're right. There's been a sort of a severing of the relationship between getting money and spending money, you know? And and so I've heard people who live off college loans, and by the way, friends of mine are in their early 30s and still paying off loans from their undergraduate education, if you can believe it. They tell me that, like, when they were in college, they had no clue about what, you know, $10,000 meant, or what Mm -hmm. $30,000 is. They're just these abstract numbers. You know, they weren't really working, or if they do work, they work for fun and they spend all their money, you know, so that but they weren't paying for what they were consuming, really, which was a college education. So I think you make a very good point, and, and combine that with the prohibition culture and the, the saturation of this generation with liquor, I don't know. I mean, it's just not going to turn out well. <laughs> I don't know
1: what else to say. Uh, yeah, the data certainly is not trending in the right no. direction. That's that's for sure. That. I'm curious about this because, I mean,
0: truly, we, John, we are at the very outset of this debate. I mean, it's just now being talked about for the first time. We've been through 30 years of this nonsense, and just now we're starting to like pay attention. So we've got this a few states playing around with the idea of like, well, gosh, maybe it would be better if a 19-year-old could go into a bar – and drink like an adult. Maybe that's better than being trapped in a dorm room with four locos or whatever, you know? And mm-hmm. uh, so there's some legislation being proposed, but you know, I'm not optimistic about it. I mean, I think there are only three states that are toying with the idea at all. And I I don't believe between now and November, we'll get to the point where um, this legislation will pass, but at least it's being discussed. And I'm very curious about like what are the conditions under which the drinking age will be lowered and it's actually difficult to imagine, isn't it? And yet we have to remember that back in the 1920s, you know, this is the country that sought to abolish the production and consumption and trafficking and alcohol for everyone, you know, which is just amazing, you know, that anybody would presume that. But they did. And the country more or less saw the error of its ways, saw the corruption was too deep. That uh, the abuse was too intense, that the poisonings were were too dangerous, and and finally people said, "This is stupid. Let's get rid of it." And you know the president who got rid of it, right? I mean, it's actually ironic. It was FDR of all people.
1: That is pretty. Honest. Yeah,
0: <laughs> he ran on a platform of repealing prohibition, which is a major reason why people supported him—not for the Blue Eagle laws and the New Deal, but for just so they could get a beer. You know. So I think it is possible that you can roll back bad legislation. I just don't think that uh, people have heard the arguments enough.
1: So, Jeffrey, like you were saying with the, the three states that are trying to uh, push this forward, it, it might happen, it might not, but the conversation is starting. Right. So when we start a conversation, it's good to good to air things out and get everything out there in the open. So a logical question would be, at what age do you think a, a person is considered responsible enough to decide they can safely consume alcohol?
0: Well, I think, for starters, I favor any bit of liberalization like i think the new hampshire law would permit 18 year olds to drink in a public bar if they're accompanied by somebody who's 21 okay so drink wine and beer i think is is what it is not even liquor so i mean that sounds like not that much but it's actually a step in the right direction i think that would be a good thing the california uh, laws is the best one which just liberalizes all Wine, beer, liquor, everything for everybody 18, unaccompanied by adult. I mean, I think that's a really good step. And that just, and that's not a radical p- position. That's what we were doing 30 years ago. And it was working just fine. And generations were raised on that. I mean, that, you know, ever since the end of prohibition, that was just the normal way. In most countries, though, around the world, the age is 16 for wine and beer and then 18 for liquor. And that sounds very reasonable to me. But I also, I'm not a teetotaler, and I think it's perfectly reasonable to follow the American tradition, which, you know, in the 19th century and 18th century, drinking was just part of life. It's what you use to purify your water. It was essential for just getting through life. And I I don't really believe that it's wrong for like a 12-year-old to drink, you know, a wine or a nine-year-old to have a a hot toddy when they're sick. I mean, I just don't believe in all this stuff. So I don't I don't really think there should be any restrictions at all. And I'd like to get to that point in history. I mean, ultimately, we have to have a society where people are able to manage themselves. And you have to have a government that, you know, more or less trusts people to manage their lives. And that's where I'd like to get to.
1: So you do believe that there is a role for government to regulate the drinking laws? Well, I would rather there not
0: be one. But so long as there is one, I'd like it to be as liberal as possible. You know, whatever that is, and any amount of liberalization at this point would be good,
1: right? Because it, it's hard to really imagine in our, our current structure with our huge, huge, enormous federal government. But in a more free society, maybe if we had, yeah. you know, smaller communities, or if you want to call them, you know, property owners' associations, if you had a group of people that wanted to come together and decide on a common age where they're going to allow oh, their sure, children sure, sure. to drink. That's nothing wrong. You could have some that are maybe they don't want to allow people to drink until they're 25. Sure. Or
0: or, well, you could imagine if we had a free market in healthcare, there'd be plenty of insurance companies that would be out there to, giving you health coverage at very, very low rates, provided you don't smoke or drink. I mean, that would be common. I could totally see that. I mean, if you
1: absolutely, you know,
0: if you've got a, a health insurance company run by the Mormons and they're telling you, you know, don't drink, smoke, or, or have coffee, you know. And only marry a Mormon or whatever. I mean, <laughs> you can have any rules you want. And yeah, there are rules. There are rules all over the place. I mean, there's society uh, the, uh, society's filled with rules. You know, private communities have tons of rules. And I don't have a problem with that. I mean, as long as you're able to sort of choose your associations, it's not really an issue. And really, that's the beautiful thing about freedom, right? It allows us to experiment not just with lifestyles, but the rules that govern the lifestyles. And we find the best ones, you know, the ones that are most conducive to human flourishing and human responsibility.
1: So you mentioned before about, uh, you know, in a more free society, a, a better world where really there wouldn't be any drinking loss. Um Obviously, if, uh, there might be some circumstances where there could be parents that allow their three-year-old kid to drink. Okay. And maybe instead of just one hot toddy, it's, you know, it's drinking money. So How would that be, I guess, in an ideal free society, how would that be handled? How would that be prosecuted if parents were to allow their their child to drink too much that would actually damage themselves?
0: Well, I think it would have to be like anything else. You hurt another person, then that's considered a crime, you know. And I don't think that, that laws necessarily protect you against that. I mean, the truth is that even with the drinking laws the way they are, anybody today could poison your child with liquor or crack or methamphetamine or whatever. I mean, nothing, laws don't really prohibit behavior. People can kind of do what they want to do. The problem is that bad laws kind of like redirect human behavior and create pockets of of corruption that are, are strange and unpredictable. So, you know, I would say uh, I don't have much faith in law generally. You know, rules imposed by private communities you know, that are enforced with compassion and with an eye to results, not just compliance. I think those are much better.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Jeffrey, I'm going to put you on the spot for one last question here. It's not really in line with what we were talking about. It is a little bit, but so uh, if you were at a bar, you walk up to a bar, place your order, what's your drink of choice?
0: Well, it changes every year and I do it on the calendar year. So last year I was ordering consistently martinis without any vermouth or any olives or any of that nonsense, but just with a little squeeze of lemon in it, a shaken gin with a little squeeze of lemon. It's clean, it's icy, it's clear, it's crystalline and clarifying. I really enjoyed it for 2015. So 2016 has presented a little bit of a problem for me. I'm trying to figure out what it is. Obviously, life has become more complex, and and I think we have to dig a little deeper to something a little more richer and complex of flavor. And I'm tending more and more towards a drink called the Sidecar, actually, which is made of, of brandy and some bitters. Uh, I really like it. I think it's delicious. Look it up. Try it out. Maybe you'll – I haven't declared that my drink of 2016, but that's <laughs> what, more and more I'm tending in that direction.
1: There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the drink of 2016, the sidecar. Try it out. I'm going to try one myself. It sounds delicious. Jeffrey, I wanted to give you an opportunity now to uh, to talk about anything you're working on now, uh, point people to where they can find you on the old interwebs. Yeah,
0: sure. So I'm, I'm doing a lot of work for liberty.me and I'm very happy that community is thriving and making so many people so happy. And I love to publish there. My paying gig is uh, the Foundation for Economic Education doing digital development there. You can follow my work at fee.org. Uh, digital work but i also do a lot of writing for them and i'm finishing up just today an article that i don't know it's blowing my mind but i'm slogging through the progressive era history of eugenics and as a foundation for the sort of modern managerial statecraft and i'm finding things that i never thought i would find and i'm very excited about this article i'm I just i'm finishing it up before midnight tonight and i'll turn it in and it'll be out in a couple of weeks
1: well, it might be out at the exact same time this podcast airs. So maybe we'll coordinate. Okay. <laughs> Thanks again, Jeffrey, for sitting down and spending a little time with us on the Felony Friday podcast. I really do appreciate it.
0: Oh, I'm so glad to be asked, and I appreciate your calling.
1: The show notes for today's show can be found at slash FF5. We will link to Jeffrey's article titled, Finally, Some Drinking Age Progress. We also will link to his previous appearance on the Lions of Liberty podcast, episode 16. Please follow the Lions of Liberty on Facebook and Twitter. Join our private Facebook forum simply by searching Lions of Liberty in the uh, Facebook search bar. Our group will pop right up and we will be sure to approve you as quickly as possible. Subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. The Felony Friday podcast is one of the shows we offer here at the Lions of Liberty podcast. But when you subscribe, you will get access to all of our great content. We have three shows per week. We publish new shows every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. The shows feature interviews with our host, Mark Claire. We also have our GOP and Democratic Debate Reaction Shows which are ongoing right now since there are so many debates during the election season. And we also have our fan favorite, Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor, our roundtable discussion where we talk about all things libertarian and all kinds of things that just come up randomly. It's great fun. And if iTunes isn't your thing, you can always subscribe on Stitcher as well. You can also email the show with ideas for... Uh, future guests maybe, or if you yourself want to be a guest on the show, you can reach out and email the show at FelonyFriday at com. I promise I will reply to the email as soon as I possibly can. I will get back to you. Please remember to check out the Felony Friday archive at com slash Felony Friday. Remember, this podcast is kind of a new thing. Before I had the Felony Friday podcast... It was just a weekly column I did. I did it for about three years. So there's a lot of great uh, content on there, a lot of great articles. I really encourage you to check it out. I put a lot of work into it, and I, I really would appreciate any of your feedback on any of the articles. And for more content for all of our previous podcasts, please check out the podcast archive at Lions of Liberty. This is John Odermatt signing off. We've had a great time today. I've learned a lot. I hope you have, too. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of Liberty burning.